Let's read Joshua 13. We're going to wrap up Joshua today. Next month, it's Thanksgiving, and I really can't stand it when, um, when preachers will do like, okay, it's February, so we're going to do a month of love. You know, for some reason, it's just like it, it feels too much like a bandwagon uh, thing to do, and I'm, I'm anti-bandwagon. Once everybody likes a sports team, I try to find another sports team that nobody likes. But next month, we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving because it's Thanksgiving. Um, we're going to be talking about what, what it looks like to have thankful hearts that generate into actual things. So we're t- going to talk about uh, financial giving. We're going to be talking about, you know, how do we handle um, giving to the poor? How do we handle giving words of praise and adoration for the people in our life that we need to thank? Because you need to thank people in your life, by the way. I don't know if you know that or not, but you need to be thanking people. We need to be thanking the Lord. And so what does it look like to have thanksgiving in our heart? Because it's in there. You might not feel it until you've had a few cups of coffee, but that thanksgiving needs to bubble up out of your mouth and out of, um, out of your body into action. So that's what we're going to talk about next month. But um, this week we're going to wrap up the end of Joshua, and we're in Joshua 12, and we're going to wrap up the rest of the book today. So it's a few chapters. I want to read uh, Joshua 13. Verse 15, Moses had a, now there's powerful stuff in this, so like everybody turn your thinking caps on. Moses had assigned the following areas to the clans of the tribe of Reuben. Their territory extended from Aor to the edge of the Aaron Gorge, including the town in the middle of the gorge. To the plain beyond the Mediba, it included Heshbon and the other towns in the plain, Debon. Balmoth Ball, Beth Mon, Jahaz. Is everyone feeling the power of the Holy Spirit yet? Kadimoth, Mephath, Kiriath Jerim, Sibmana, Zareth Shahar, on the hill above the valley. Got that one. Beth Peor, I know that one of the slopes of Pisgah and Beth Jesh Shemon. Verse 21, the land of Reuben also included all the towns in the plain of the entire kingdom of the Sihon. The Sihon where the Amorite king who had reigned in Heshbon was killed by Moses along with the leaders of Midian. Know that one. Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba. Not McIntyre. Princes living in the region were all allied with Sihon. And the Israelites also killed Balaam, we know him, son of Behor, who used magic to tell the future. And the river Jordan marked the western boundary of the tribe of Reuben. The towns and their surrounding villages in this area were given as homeland to the clans of Reuben. It's ten chapters of that. And it's like, we give people a hard time because they read through the Old Testament, and it's like, it's boring. It's like, be quiet. It's not boring. It's full of violence and bloodshed. It's fun. Read it. There's a lot of it that's incredibly boring. So when I say that this is probably one of the most important sections of the Old Testament, it sounds like I'm being facetious. I'm not kidding. These these 10 chapters where it talks about who gets what city and where the property boundaries meet, it's incredibly boring. It's incredibly important at the same time because property demarcations are really boring until you're the one that owns the property. So when you buy you know, a piece of property, it's like, all right, 
Is it here or is it here? Where do I put a fence? Do I put a fence on this line? Boundary markers are really important when somebody's tree falls. <laughs> is this yours or is this, is this mine? Well, that's not mine. Well, what is on yours is affecting my fence. So depending on the context, some of this stuff can be really important. And it's not important to us because I don't currently own property in Israel, but to these people it was incredibly important. So why, why is it incredibly important? Well, the reason why the last half of Joshua is important, you have to go back to uh, Genesis. So this is Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8. So starting in verse 1, Genesis 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, the God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life, which he didn't, by the way, and I will make a covenant with you, which the Lord did, by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down to the ground, and God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm going to change your name. No longer will you be called Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations." And I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. This is, you know, remember last week when we were talking about this is the last will and testament. The Lord is making a covenant with faithless Abraham. This is my, I will confirm my covenant with you. To your descendants and all your descendants after you from generation to generation, this is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God. Well, we can just stop right there. I'm going to always be your God. And the God of your descendants after you. So the promise is not only for Abraham, but it's for Abraham and his descendants. And I will give you the entire land of Canaan where you live now as a foreigner, to you and to your descendants, and it will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Now imagine you're Abraham. You live in the city of Ur. Your parents worship the moon and tree stumps. And all of a sudden, you hear a voice in your head. You think you might be crazy. You probably are. But Abraham happened to have actually heard the Lord and not just some you know, thing that he made up. So I'm going to confirm a covenant with you. I'm going to be your God. Not only your God, all of your descendants' God your descendants by which are going to be numerous. And this is the way that I'm going to confirm the covenant. The ground that you're going to, that you're living in now as a foreigner, I'm going to give it to you. It's like, okay. Today? No. Okay. How about tomorrow? No. <laughs> Next week? So why is that last part of Joshua important? The last part of Joshua is important because thousand years later, God secures his end of the, of the deal. Led the nation of Israel, who he sheltered in Egypt. Egypt turned on the Israelites. God freed them with a long arm, mighty outstretched arm through many trials. Watch Prince of Egypt led them through dry land twice, baptized them through the Red Sea, baptized them through the Jordan River, brought them into the promised land, the land of promise, the land that God promised their great, 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 whatever grandfather. 
And now, for the first time in history, the people of Israel are sitting in the land of Israel, owning their own vineyards, caring for their own flocks, cutting down their own wheat, not living underneath Egypt, not living underneath the Canaanites. God came through on his promise. God always follows through on his promise, but there's a little bit of a rub in the paint. The rub is he does not move quite as quickly as I, I want him to. And that's, that's really what I want to focus on tonight. So we're going through Joshua, but we're also going through Joshua with the intent of how in the world do we hear from the Lord? How in the world do we hear from the Lord? As we're going through uh, the book of Joshua. The number one thing that knocks people out of their faith, I've, I've been around a lot of prophetic people that, that hear something from the Lord. The number one thing that knocks us out is we hear something, either you've spent time in prayer and you, know, you feel that the Lord has given you a promise, or we read about the, the multitude of promises in Scripture that the Lord has for us. Or there is just something you were born with in your heart that you know to be true. Well, regardless, God has planted a seed in here, and we know what is possible or we know what should be happening, and then we look at all of the people around us, and we're like, well, this does not look like the fulfillment of what's going on in here. And I either, A, look at the distance that I have to walk to get from point A to point B, or I look how slow the people that are walking around me are walking, well, regardless of the fact, there's a lot of people in the faith that give up either before starting the journey or they give up halfway through the journey because they're not there yet. So one of the number one things, one of the, the, the strongholds that we can build in our life to preserve faithfulness in our hearts is being able to manage the marathon that we're on. The time it takes to the Lord to fulfill his promise can be a killer. Now, you'll read a, a phrase a lot in, in the word where it says, and then the Lord suddenly, and then Jesus suddenly, and then the Holy Spirit suddenly. But it takes a really long time to get to the Lord to the point that he acts suddenly. We are where we are, not because of the strength of our own hands, not because of the wisdom in your own head. We are where we are because people before us sacrificed for our generation. We are eating from vineyards that we didn't plant. We are harvesting from fields that we didn't sow. So we are reaping the benefit of generations past that died without their promise so that we could experience provision. Now the question is, what are we doing with those vineyards today? Are we sowing seeds not for me to harvest? Are we sowing seeds for a future generation to harvest? Am I planting vineyards for a future generation to, to harvest from? That, that's, that's the intention of the Lord, is for the Lord to be pushing us in a direction of the future generation. And not just the, the kids that we've got in children's church right now. What happens if the fields that we're sowing, the fields that we're, have you ever picked up stones out of a field? My grandfather used to give me money to fill up like five gallon buckets full of rocks. And it's like, this is dumb. It's like, well, it's necessary. Have your parents ever told you to go out in the yard and pick up sticks? 
They were trying to get rid of you, by the way. <laughs> but they could get rid of you by you playing video games or they could get rid of you by uh, you being, being beneficial. Well, the Lord has given us a job to do. And it's not just to get rid of us. We are preparing harvest fields, maybe even before they're ready. Do you feel like you're sowing in a field that's rocky and stony and it's full of thorns? It's like nothing's growing. It's like, well, yeah, maybe you happen to be not, maybe you happen to be the person that is going to, to prepare that land so that your kid can sow and actually reap a benefit from it. What happened? Well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Have you ever seen somebody make a New Year's resolution? No, I've never seen anybody make a New Year's resolution. Have you ever made a plan to get abs? <laughs> Oh, what an exercise in futility that is. Do, do, do you know how, what your body fat has to be down to get abs? All of us have them. Like, you go look at, you know, some bodybuilder. I mean, that's what I look like on the inside. It's just, it's covered. It's veiled. It's like, I have to eat what to get abs? I have to do how many crunches to get abs? But I'm not willing to put the effort into, I'm not willing to put the time into making decisions every day, even when no one's looking, even when it's difficult, even when I don't want it, even when I want to eat 157 Nutter Butters. If I, don't want to, if I don't want to put the effort into it, if I don't want to put the time into it, I'm never going to get the reward, the benefit out of it. We try and we don't see immediate results out of something, and I get fussy and I quit. This is the church's kryptonite, and we must change it. Might not even change in our generation, but I promise you, you know how it takes a long time uh, to turn the Titanic around? Is that Amy Grant? It takes a little time sometimes. Do you know how long it takes the Titanic to, avoided, to have avoided the iceberg? It takes forever to turn a battleship. But if you never start pulling on that rudder, if you never start hitting the brakes, you will never eventually stop. You'll never miss the, the iceberg. The church for so often has attempted, I didn't get a result this week. I, well, did you pray about it? Well, yeah, I prayed. Like, when did you start praying? Yesterday. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying this is you. I'm saying this is me. Man, I put, I put 15 minutes into it, and I bring my head up, and it's like, well, nothing's changed. I guess the Lord doesn't love me. Like, goodness. Why do we not experience those immediate changes? Have you ever wondered that? Like, well, I prayed for this, and it didn't happen. Well, why does it take the Lord a thousand years to bring the Israelites into the land of promise? Well, we saw, I mean, we've been going through this for for months. We saw one of the reasons why it took so long is he wanted to, to bring them in a generation earlier. And they said, no. Said, okay. Lord, why didn't you fulfill your promise? I tried. You said no. Another thing is the Lord is moving on planetary timescales. Have you ever seen a river cut through a valley, like watch it happen? No. 
You can see where the river has cut through a valley, though, right? You go to the um, Grand Canyon, it's like that little thing did all of this. Like, well, yeah. Sometimes the Colorado River is a little bit angrier than it usually is. Have you ever seen the Rio Grande? And it's like, well, who named that? It's a drainage ditch. Have you ever seen a glacier cut through a mountain chain? Like, well, no. <laughs> But glaciers do cut through mountain chains. We can see the evidence. We can see the scars in Canada of glaciers that have cut through. The reason, <laughs> this is the funniest thing ever. The reason why the breadbasket of America is so f fertile, the reason why we grow all of our corn in the Midwest is because all of the glaciers washed all of the nutrients from Canada into America. And they were like, we're such great farmers. It's like, no, it's because we pulled all of the nutrients from Canada and here it is, yay. Meanwhile, Canada is just up there and all they have is coffee and maple syrup. It's all a Tim Hortons joke, by the way, for all of our people from the great white north. We don't notice what the Lord is doing in our life because he is moving on timescales that are outside of my ego. And that's the problem is I'm looking for the Lord of the creation or the, the creator of heavens and earth to move huge things to affect my parking space. <laughs> it's like, it's, I don't care about your parking space. We're moving glaciers. We're moving, we're moving plates. Did you know that like we're sitting on a huge plate that's floating on a, a molten soup of rock? <laughs> And it's moving. You know, if you've ever experienced an earthquake or a volcano, I mean, I hope we've not experienced, experienced. But when you can, has anyone ever felt like an earthquake here in Tennessee? You know, because of the real foot fault line? I was sitting in my uh, house one time, and I've got like a, not a chandelier, it's way junkier than a chandelier, candle holder that's hanging from, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want a grandiose or grandiose myself. So there's a candle hanger, uh, holder that's hanging from the middle of, uh, of my house. And we're all sitting there, and all of a sudden the candle starts moving around. I'm like, well, that's strange. And then my back door opens up, and it's like, <laughs> this is the most terrifying experience of my life. It's because you know, we had an earthquake. It was so small I couldn't feel it, but I saw the effects of it. I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning one time when I was in high school. What was that? Earthquake. Like things are grinding next to each other with such slow speed that we don't see it until all of a sudden it, it gives way. Well, that's how the Lord's promises are for you. Now, the thing about that is I look at that because I have, I'm self-centered and I am egotistical. I see that and I go, that's slow. Where every power, principality, devil, angel that's in the universe looks at that and goes, do you understand the power? that's moving behind that. See, I look at a glacier and I go, man, that's slow. <laughs> that mountain looks at that glacier and it's like, it's power. It takes a tremendous amount of time to turn and to change powerful movement. That glacier is going to come. It's not, it's not a matter of like, all right, well, if we build a fire at the bottom of the glacier and slowly heat the glacier up, eventually maybe it won't melt. Or it, it won't crush us. No, that glacier's coming whether you want it to or not. What happens if I want to say, well, I never want to have an earthquake ever again? Well, 
I can't do anything about it because the plate tectonics, like all of our human ingenuity, doesn't have the ability to stop the plates from rubbing each other. You don't have the ability to stop the promise of the Lord coming. You might be able to make idiot decisions that delay it for a generation. But when the Lord has promised you something, all of heaven and earth move to make that happen. It just doesn't happen on the timescales that, that I want. See, why in the world do, do I have an issue with this? I have an issue with this because it moves so slow that if I'm not careful, I don't see anything that's happening, and so I assume that nothing is happening. Does that make sense? Like, I look around, and I, I don't see the Lord in a hurry, so obviously you must be lazy. It, it, it has an issue in my heart because I have this inner kid that's screaming, now, I want it now. Now, I want this now. And the Lord is just a little bit too, more, too mature to give in to that. The Lord knows when he is going to manifest this promise in our life. So what do I have to do? I have to swallow that inner child. I want it to happen now, but we're mature. I can swallow that. It doesn't have to happen now. Lord, I trust you on your time. But the solution of this is you have got to keep documentation. That's how we know that the Lord is doing something. I have somebody that in my life has journaled where I am, where I've been, and where I'm going. I wouldn't know that the Lord fulfilled a thousand-year-old promise had somebody in Genesis not written down the promise. Had they not told their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids and their great-great-great-grandkids of what the Lord had done in their lives. So the practical step, we need to be journaling or we need to be developing the heart of a storyteller. If there is something in your heart that you are praying about, let people know, hey, I feel that the Lord's promised me this. Write it down because when you look around in your life and you think that the Lord's not doing anything, you will have to go back to your journals and read through, what has he brought me out of? Oh, he has rescued me. It's just that the rescue happened so slowly that I didn't notice it. Have you ever seen a flower open up? It's so slow that you, there's nothing happening, but if you put a time-lapse camera on it, all of a sudden, bam, life. So the Lord is moving in your life, but if you're not recording what he's doing day to day, you never see the trend lines. Second and last point. Reason why I have an issue with the time scale that the Lord moves on, it's like I said before, I am egotistical and self-centered. I think that the entire universe, the cosmos, every angel and every demon is revolving around me. And it's not. And that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. You know when, like, you have another kid? I was an only child, so the universe did revolve around me. But thank God my parents were... They were good enough parents to let me know that, hey, there are other things going on in the universe besides you. I don't know that it's, if it took all the time, but they at least attempted. Is it, I'm going to propose something. You tell me if this is crazy or not. Is it ridiculous to, to just trust that the Lord is going to take care of my daily needs? <laughs> right. Now tell myself that when I am in need. It's not ridiculous just to trust. You're, ha, has he ever let me fail? No? Okay. Has there been a, 
Has there been many days in a row go by that I've not eaten? No. no. <laughs> I am a testament <laughs> that I am well fed. I am nourished. The Lord gives me my daily bread. Okay, so if the Lord's giving me my daily bread, the Lord's taking care of my needs right now, I can stop worrying about my needs right now and I can start pushing forward into the future. Well, what about tomorrow? Well, he's probably going to take care of tomorrow. Okay, so if he's going to take care of my needs, where are we going? Where are we going on vacation? What city, what land are we going into? Where, where is the next five years? Where is the next ten years going to take us? As a church, we get together. What in the, Lord, what in the world is the Lord going to do in this property in a hundred years? Imagine. Imagine if the city planners in Allgood made a plan for Walmart to be as busy as it is. Imagine. Imagine if everything wasn't bottlenecked. Imagine if we got together and we started making plans of where we want the Lord to promise. Oh, God, what happens if you do this? And start making plans for generations that now haven't even been thought of yet. That fixes that inner ego. Because then all of a sudden, it's not about my loaf of bread today. He's got me. What happens if I focus on other people? What happens if I focus on a generation that's not been born yet? So this is, our, this is the main thing. If you've not paid attention to anything that's gone on today, I want you to, to, to pick up on this. How long does it take to plant a daisy seed? Like you get a daisy seed and you put it in the ground. It's like, you know, it's a few seconds. Well, how long does it take to plant a sequoia seed? Well, it doesn't. It's a few seconds. It takes the same amount of time to plant a sequoia seed as it does a daisy seed. How, long, how much effort does it take to raise daisies? I don't know. For me, not much because I wind up killing them before they even bloom. So very little effort for me. How much effort does it take to plant and raise a sequoia? Generations. Is there anything in your life that is worth giving everything in here and your kids and your grandkids' lives? Our, our goals focus around, like, I want to retire well. I want my 401K to take care of itself. I want to be decently healthy when I'm 80 so that, you know, I can enjoy my retirement that's where our goals and our focuses are. And I'm not saying that that's bad. Like, please, plan for your future. But might I propose today, what is it in our lives that is willing for us to work 80 years for a generation that we'll never meet? Is there anything in, in the heavens, in the kingdom of God, that I think, man, that needs to be on earth, and it is willing for me to pour out of myself to give on an altar that I know that I will never get an immediate re response back? What does it look like for us to be praying prayers that I have no intention of seeing in my lifespan? That's how we take care of that egocentrism. That's how I take care of my self-centeredness. That's how I fix my, I want it now, is I start dreaming of a generation that I've not met yet. Oh, God, what can I do today to help that generation? They, they won't even know our names. We are sitting in a room 
that is a result of sacrifice of people that we don't even know. My grandmother knew him. Miss Debbie knows a, a ton of people. There's going to come a generation where no one will remember the, the names of the people that were on the pews. Whole generations of people that are sacrificing for where we sit right now. We are a part of that generation for somebody in the future. That we are warring after the things of faith and we are leaning into the kingdom of God so that one day there's going to be a generation. This is yeah, no, i got one more verse to read. This is one of the things that frustrates me. Martin Luther, worried about his salvation his whole life. People used to say that they would, like, pray for the assurance of their salvation, and it would take them years to wrestle with the thought of, like, am I actually saved? Like, God, has God actually forgiven me, or, is, or has he not? Well, today, that's, a, that's an article of faith. You believe in the gospel, and he forgives you. There's no, like, we don't sit up at the altar and we war after salvation. So our, our grandparents' generation, when like all the charismatic renewals were coming through, people would get in the altar and pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit for days. They would fast like, ah, fire from heaven. And today, well, we, we lay hands on you and you believe that you receive it. And there's nothing that we're warring against. Baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. It's not me that's doing the baptism, it's the Him. We receive the baptism. I'm full of the Holy Spirit. So much so that it's overflowing. Might I propose one of the things that we war against is healing. How many people have you prayed for that nothing's happened? We get in the altar and we war for healing. God... In your sovereign mercy, would you grant healing? We don't see that in the book of Acts. The Lord laid his hands on people and they got healed. What happens if there is a future generation that is going to be worshiping in this, that treats healing the same way? Why in the world did you pray for a month to get healed? Just pray for it. It says you pray for the sick and they'll recover. Pull them up out of the wheelchair. Why are they in the wheelchair? And they're going to look back on us like we're idiots. Thank God. Do you know how many people war right now over their personal identity? What happens if there is coming a future generation that has no self-identity issues? They, are, they become a new creature and they look in the mirror and they see a son and daughter clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So what, what are we putting in our garden that one day will reap a benefit, a harvest of somebody that knows who they are, that doesn't struggle with this weird self doubt and depression. And to me, that seems ridiculous. How in the world are there going to be people that don't deal with depression? Well, one day. One day it was in a heart of one of my ancestors that maybe one day his kids might be able to know how to read. And here I sit, I know how to read, not incredibly well sometimes, but I am the embodiment of prayers that were prayed before for me, of people that I've never met. So what can we do as a people group to be lifting up our kids that are in the children's ministry? What sacrifices can we make? Not for me. Who cares if the music is ever what I want it to be? Who cares if the lights are ever what? I'm not, I'm not here for any of this stuff. 
who cares where the arrangement of this stuff is? <laughs> who cares? This is not our goal. Our goal is for people to be redeemed of people that we've not even met yet. That's the goal. The goal is a generation that's never even been thought of. That's where our minds are. We cast them forward into the future and we start praying for, and obviously, I'm, I mean, I'm being hyperbolic. We are praying for things now. I'm warring for things that are happening now, but there is a part of my heart that I am preparing fields that one day my great, great, whatever grandkids in the faith will start sowing seeds into. Philippians 3.12, and then we'll go home. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting everything in the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. The reason why the last half of Joshua is important is it's because of, it's a fulfillment of a millennial-long pro- prophecy that, bam, manifested. And we're about to walk into the Christmas season. Do you know how long those prophecies rested out into the cosmos before they manifested? And the people of faith were the ones that were like, I keep putting one foot in front of the other. It's like, well, you don't see anything. Like, imagine Abraham's friends. You're going where? I'm not sure. West. To what city? I don't know. Where are you going to live? I'm not sure. But I'm looking for a city whose builder was not man, whose foundations were laid by the Lord. We are the people that Abraham was fighting for. It wasn't the Israeli people group. It It wasn't mountains. He was the father of faith. He's our father. Abraham, one day, it says that that every generation that has ever been blessed on earth will be blessed because of Abraham. And it wasn't talking about the Jews. It's talking about Christ. That was the promise of the father. That was the son that was promised. It had nothing to do with Ishmael. had nothing to do with Isaac. had nothing to do with Jacob. It's talking about Christ. One day I'm going to give you a a son. And he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Kings are going to sprout from your, uh, from your generations. He's talking about Christ. He was looking forward into the future to see us. Do we have the ability, do we have the fortitude to be mamas and daddies of the house, to be grandfathers and grandmothers that are warring, that are sacrificing for generations that aren't here yet? Yeah, we do. When it's about our kids and when it's about our grandkids, who cares if I'm comfortable? Who cares if the music's right for me? I don't, I don't care about the music for me. I'm focused on the music for my kids. I don't care if the temperature is okay for me. Who cares about me? Is it okay for my kids? Is it okay for my grandkids? Is it okay for my great-great-grandkids? What things are we storing up? What IRA accounts are we storing up for the future generations? It's not about me. It's not about me getting what I want right now. The Lord's promised me things that are too big for my generation to handle anyways. There are riches that are promised us that are too big for our bank accounts. So I need to collect generations of bank accounts around me to handle the promise. 
<sighs> All right, let's stand up. 